It's uh, great to be with you. If you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to the book of 1 John, chapter 1. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, no worry. I think we're going to have it on the screen. But today, what I want to do is um, I want to share, I want to talk about how we should move forward. So last week was Easter Sunday, um, and across all of McLean Bible Church locations, there were dozens and dozens of people who committed their life to Christ, who made a decision that they were going to follow Jesus with their life. And there were dozens and dozens who indicated that they wanted to, uh, to be baptized, to publicly identify with Christ. And even here at NBC Loudoun, we probably had about 10 or 12 people who raised their hands and indicated that they wanted to begin a personal relationship with Jesus. That's, that's good news, isn't it, church? I know it's a little bit early, but we can get excited about that. Um, so how is it that we're to move forward with them? What about the people who have returned to NBC Loudon and are, uh, have, have been away for some time due to COVID and are just coming back? How do we move forward? How do we move forward as a church family as we seek to follow Jesus, as we seek to display his goodness and his glory throughout Loudoun County um, and beyond? How do we move forward? And so that's where we're going uh, this morning. I want to begin just by praying and asking God to bless the, uh, the preaching of his word. So Heavenly Father, we bow before you even now as we open up your word to 1 John and we just confess that we are needy people that our reason, our rationale, our intellect is not enough in this moment. We need you to open eyes to see wonderful truths in your word. We need you to open up and cause dead hearts to start beating again. We need you, Jesus, to begin to birth affections for you where our hearts have grown dull. Grown dull. So would you do this, Lord? We look to you. Would you accomplish what only you can? You can do exceedingly more than we could ever ask or imagine. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, so my wife, Brooke, and I, we, uh, uh, we've done a good bit of premarital counseling. Okay, so there was a season in our ministry. It just seemed like God opened up the floodgates of young couples who were engaged and wanted uh, Brooke and myself to help them prepare for marriage, which was a pretty terrifying thing. So we developed a curriculum, uh, and we would take them through several weeks of premarital counseling and prepare them for marriage. And then we would, I would perform the wedding, and it was just this, this just, op- just floodgates, just opening up. Just tons of young uh, adults were coming to us uh, for this type of ministry. And I remember one young adult couple that got married, and they, they came back about six months after marriage, and, and the wife was a little bit agitated, okay? And, and the wife proceeded to tell us that we didn't prepare them well for marriage. It was like, I don't know what you guys were thinking, but you didn't prepare me for what we just entered into. And I, I was a little bit taken back, a little bit uh, aggravated myself. I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And she said this. She said, it's really hard being married, It's really hard. We disagree a lot. We don't see eye to eye. He irritates me all the time. Like, you didn't tell me this. You need to do a better job of telling couples how hard this is going to be. And I was thinking about that as I was studying the book of 1 John, and specifically chapter 1, preparing for this week. I believe sometimes we paint an ideal picture for those of how to follow Jesus, how to move forward in their faith with Jesus. 
And so we, we sometimes paint that ideal picture, like you're going to start reading your Bible and you're going to be communing with God, like the God of the universe, and you're going to have these times with God in communion with him. You're going to be sharing the gospel with people, and it's the power of God to salvation, and people are going to be coming to faith in Jesus, and you're going to start meeting with brothers and sisters in Christ, and, and man, the Spirit's going to birth this community, this deep community, and all of that is true, but we might not be helpfully preparing one another for the challenges, the difficulties, the discipline. And today, I want to keep it real, okay? I want to keep it real as we consider how to move forward and just out of the gate state that Christians oftentimes struggle. Churches oftentimes struggle. And not just in America, okay? We're talking across the world, throughout history, Christians struggle, and churches struggle. So we see what seems to be this ideal, harmonious uh, experience on the surface can actually be a disguise, because there's oftentimes questions of belief, isn't there? There's oftentimes questions of how do we live this life, questions of mission, questions of leadership, even sometimes outright conflict within the church. Now, the church growth experts are going to tell you, don't mention that. Just kind of push that aside. Talk about what works in their life. But I believe the New Testament actually invites us to acknowledge these challenges. It invites us because it is, in fact, these challenges that is God's intended way to prepare us for eternity with him. So this challenge of not helpfully preparing one another for, these, uh, for the, the days ahead is oftentimes compounded when we approach the New Testament era and its churches with this idealistic framework. I don't know if, you, if you've ever experienced this, but you start reading the New Testament and you can start fantasizing about how life must have been back then, right? You start fantasizing, you start assuming that these congregations that say the Apostle Paul planted only experience conflict externally, That surely, I mean, inside, internally, we didn't have stuff going on, but it shouldn't shouldn't surprise us because we get constant glimpses into churches in the New Testament that we're struggling, that we're struggling. And the Apostle John who wrote this letter is, 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 is right there acknowledging the conflict, acknowledging the struggle, and writing in the midst of intense controversy. And in that In that controversy, in that struggle, the Apostle John is seeking to give guidance how to move forward, right? How do we live our lives? And then when he's doing this, he's given this perfect, this beautiful picture of what should be the normal Christian life. What should be the normal Christian life? He teaches us how we should think and how we should behave when life gets tough. And here's the reality. Life in community is often challenging. And sometimes it's downright difficult. And the Apostle Paul is providing us with guidelines to help us assess the quality of our life together. So we need to listen to 1 John, and specifically 1 John chapter 1. So let me bring you up to speed. The Apostle John is the author of this letter. He's the one who wrote this letter. He was one of the original 12 disciples. Okay? And at this point in time, more than likely, John is the only one of the surviving 12. Okay? So the others, so Judas 
we know that he committed suicide, the other 10 had died a martyr's death. So they died proclaiming to anyone and everyone who would listen, and even those who wouldn't, they proclaimed, we saw Jesus die on the cross, and then we saw him bodily risen from the grave. And people were upset with that message, right? And they were saying, hey, stop telling people that. And they were saying, we can't help but tell people what we saw. Like, you, we can't stop telling people this. And so then the people within power got mad and said, if you don't stop telling people, we're going to kill you. And that's what they ended up doing. They ended up killing 10 of the 12. And Judas had already committed suicide, so John is likely the last surviving 12 here. And John wrote five books in the New Testament. He wrote the Gospel of John that looks back at the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. He wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, these letters to the church, uh, as it looks at the present, teaches Christians how they should live. And then Revelation looks at the future and shows how God will consummate all of history in the triumphant return of Jesus to the earth. And so John wrote this letter, 1st John, to the churches of Asia Minor, probably around 80 A.D., around 80 A.D., Now, this is important because these churches now have second and third generation Christians. You guys tracking with me? They probably had, they they more than likely had second and third generation Christians. And his concern in this letter was that there was false teachers infiltrating the church, as well as some Christians were veering off course from the abundant life that Jesus had purchased for them on the cross. And so he needed to share with them. He needed to share with them, how do you move forward? How do you proceed? And that's where I want to pick up. I want to read the first chapter of 1 John. The Word of God says this in verse 1. It says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things to us so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, these words are direct and very humbling, and they are written to followers of Jesus. They are written to the church, and today I want to consider three important realities for us as we move forward following Jesus. First off, We must continually live under the banner that God knows us fully and loves us unconditionally. One of our pastors, Patrick Downing, just prayed and set this up perfectly. This is the banner by which we need to live under, that God knows us fully 
and loves us unconditionally. Now, John starts this letter, this he starts with an introduction and uses several descriptive phrases. I'm not sure if you heard it when I first read it, but in verse one, he says, we have heard. He says, we have seen with our eyes, we've observed, we've touched with our hands concerning the word of life. We've seen it in verse two is what he says. Verse three, we've seen it and we've heard it. Now, what is he referring to? Well, he says it in verse one, concerning the word of life, concerning Jesus. Now, if there's any doubt who he's talking about, he clarifies in verse five, this is the message which we heard from you, I mean, from him. Now circle it, and he says, declare, and we declare this to you. So we see here that John walked with Jesus, okay? John walked with, he, he had countless conversations with Jesus. He was with him throughout his earthly ministry. He lived with Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, this is the message we heard from him, and we're going to declare it to you. Now, if this passage doesn't have your attention, you might not be paying attention. Because Jesus is saying, like, I have been with him I'm about to tell you the message from him. I walked with him. I talked with him. I ate with him. I had meals with him, and I'm about to give it to you. And here's the message that he gives. Verse 5, this is the message we heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And verse 6, if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. He says, God is light. Now, what is light? How would you describe light? It's good. It's pure. It's powerful. You walk in a room, you turn on the, the lights, and darkness flees, right? So God is light. But here, most likely, the phrase is referring to the moral perfection of God, that there is no blemish in God that there's not one stain, there's not one mark, not one sin in his character. He is absolute perfection. He is absolutely holy. He is pure in all of his ways. And in him is no darkness at all, is what John says. There's no fault. There's no failure. There's no falsehood. There's no deceit, no dishonesty. And you might be sitting there saying, well, that, that sounds pretty terrifying. Because if God is light and in him there is no darkness, I'm just a casual observation of my life and I see all kinds of areas of darkness, of deceit, of dishonesty, of faults and failures. And so if that's what it means, maybe I don't qualify to move forward. And that's where I'd say, wait just a minute. Because the Apostle John is saying something extraordinary here. In verse 3, he says, this is what we have seen and heard, and we proclaim to you. Why? He says it right there in verse 3. So that, so that you can have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So there's something being proclaimed that allows imperfect people, people with real failures and real shortcomings and real messed up lives to have fellowship with God. 
It's not just, hey, if you are morally pristine, then you get to move forward. But we know that's not the case because verse 8 says, if we say we have no sin. He's, he's not saying only sinless people get to move forward here. He's saying something different. And he's not saying if you hide your darkness, if you hide those areas of deceit and failure and fault, if you hide those, then you can walk out here and get, and get in the club. That's not what he's saying. So what is the key in this passage? The key is verse 7. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Did you get that? That's gospel right there. That's good news for all of us right there. And that's what Jesus says in the gospel of John in chapter 8 when he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Now, if Jesus came to show you how to live a good, moral, pristine life and then pats you on the back and says, go do likewise, we are all in trouble. We are all in trouble. Because John chapter 1 says the light has come into the world and people have loved darkness more than they loved the light because their deeds were evil, right? And so it's terrifying for us who know that we have fault and failure. It's terrifying to us to think about this. Now, I'm talking to Christians here because John is writing to Christians in 1 John. So if you're not a follower of Jesus, I invite you to listen in. This is actually really important as you consider the truth claims of of Jesus. Because all too often, professing Christians project, we have it all together, right? Our families are good, our jobs are good, our bank account's good, we got it all together. And we project that out, and the world thinks, well, then I need to get it all together before I come in, before I can move forward with Jesus. And that's absolutely not Christianity. Christianity is not a bunch of people who've cleaned up their act and now have favor with God. Christianity is about a bunch of people who were powerless to clean up their act, and God showed mercy on us, right? And God showed mercy to us in the person of Jesus. And through him, our sins are forgiven. We can have fellowship with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is good news. So we must continually live under the banner that God knows us fully and loves us unconditionally. As Patrick said, he can't love you anymore. And there's nothing that can slip out of your closet to cause him to love you any less. This is good news. We have fellowship with him, Christians, not because we've cleaned ourselves up, but because he has forgiven us and he's cleansed us of all of our sin and unrighteousness. So we must continually live under the banner that God knows us fully and loves us unconditionally. Second, we must live with the reality that sin is a big deal. And the cleansing blood of Jesus is our only hope. Now, too often, when those, when people become Christians, when they get saved and they become a Christian, start identifying as a Christian, what happens all too often is we begin to minimize sin. And in Christian, Christian circles, we tend to talk about sin as it's something less than sin. So we struggle with anger and we name, rename it zeal for what is right. 
We struggle with impatience, and we're like, well, we just really desire to move things forward. Or we hunger for power and control, and we just say, it's just my leadership ability playing out. But here's the deal. Sin is a big deal. Sin is a big deal. Jesus came and lived and died because there was no way else to deal with sin. It's so powerful and so destructive in its effects in our lives that there's no way else to deal with it other than the eternally glorious Son of God leaving his throne and entering into our broken world and living a perfect life that you and I didn't live, and then dying a brutal, sacrificial death on the cross, and then gloriously rising from the grave so that our sins could be paid in full. Sin is a big deal. Now, how do we take next steps? How do we move forward in this Christian life? You live with the reality that sin is a big deal. You don't minimize it. You don't rationalize it. You don't point the finger and blame others. When you do that, you're participating in the system of denial. See sin as it really is and confess it and know that your only hope is the blood of Jesus Christ. It says it right there. If you confess your sins, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, what does it mean to confess our sins? Well, the word confess there means to say the same thing as. So that's what confession is. When we confess our sins, we're agreeing with God that what he says about our sin is true. It's an admission of guilt, but it's not saying I got caught and I'm sorry, but if I could do it again and not get caught, I, w- I would do it again. That's not confession, okay? Confession of sin is coming to a place where you are in agreement with God about your sin, It means genuine contrition, a genuine seeking of forgiveness. And who do we confess our sin to? We confess our sin to God, right? Ultimately, Psalm 51, against you and you alone have I sinned. We confess our sins to those we sinned against, right? And we should confess our sins to those we're in community with so that we can live honestly with others, so that we can live honestly with others. And when we do that, 1 John says God acts. He forgives sins. He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, this is important, especially if you have recently made a profession of faith, especially if you just recently said, I want to follow Jesus with my life. The death of Jesus on the cross has covered all of your sins, past, present, and future. So when you sin as a Christian, You don't stop being a Christian. You don't get kicked out of the family of God, okay? But what happens is it takes you out of fellowship with God, and it takes you out of fellowship with other believers. It takes you out of fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. But when you come to a place where you confess your sin, and you admit it for what it truly is, and you live honestly before others and honestly before God, then this is the point where your fellowship with God is restored. Your fellowship with your brothers and sisters is restored. The reality is, brothers and sisters, we must live with the reality that sin is a big deal. 
And the cleansing blood of Jesus is our only hope. I love what the 19th century minister Robert Murray McShane, who actually compiled our Bible reading plan that we are going through over the next two years. He says, every look we take at ourselves, we should take 10 looks at Christ. Sin is a big deal, but Christ is better. Sin is a big deal, but Christ is better. Tim Keller says, this is the gospel. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the very same time, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever dared hope. So we must continually live under the banner that God knows us fully and loves us unconditionally. Secondly, we must live with the reality that sin is a big deal and the cleansing blood of Jesus is our only hope. And thirdly, and I want to camp out here for a minute, we must live in gospel community with one another, speaking truthful words about God and honest words about our lives. We must live in gospel community with one another, speaking truthful words about God and honest words about our lives. The gospel creates communities that allow us to be honest with one another. To be honest with God. To be honest with ourselves. And I share it almost every time I'm standing here. We lived in the Middle East for five years. We were in the, the heart of the Muslim world. And I can tell you that there is not a message in any other religion that allows people to have the courage to be honest with themselves, honest with others, and honest with God. It doesn't exist. Only the gospel can, can create communities that do that. Because the doctrine of grace, which is distinct to Christianity, is the one that creates communities of grace. Is anybody following me here? The doctrine of grace creates communities of grace. So it's only in those communities where we can be fully known, really known, by God and by one another. And how do you do this? Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light. So we don't have to fear or be in silence or be in denial or be defensive we are lovingly called out, brothers and sisters, to walk in the light, come out of the darkness into the light, not because we don't have things to hide. I'm sitting in a room full of people that have things to hide. I'm not saying that none of us have anything to hide. I am telling you that we, it's not that we don't have things to hide, but we have the grace that allows us to no longer live in hiding. And that's good news. That's the best of news. When, when we know that God, is, his love for us is fixed in Christ, it is ridiculous to continue to spend endless amounts of energy seeking to control what other people think of you. And in so doing, perpetuate the loneliness problem in your own life and for others. This is, this is what, this goes back to the Garden of Eden, Right? This is Adam and Eve. This is, this is the basis of our sin. We rebel against God, and what does Adam and Eve do? They hide. And then they start 
sewing together some fig leaves so, so they're really not seen. And they're terrified. They're terrified. And sadly today, Christians become masters at hiding from God and hiding from others. We project out what we want others to see. And let me say this as clear as I can. Self-hiding Christians are not just defeated Christians, but in their life, they're also denying the very gospel they profess to believe. Because the gospel says you don't have to hide. The gospel says that God comes to you, right? This is what happened in the garden. He went, he slaughtered an animal. He provided for them. He provided for them where they didn't have to hide in their shame any longer. And so you don't have to fear if anyone really gets to know you, maybe they wouldn't love you or desire you. And you don't have to fear if God really knew me, maybe he wouldn't love me. He knows everything. So who else really knows what's going on in your life? This is what John is calling us. This is how we move forward in life, in Christ. Walk in the light. To walk in the light, to live honestly, sharing our sins, sharing our burdens, sharing our questions, sharing our stories in gospel community. That's walking in the light. That's living honestly. And you need Jesus for this. You need your brokenness for this, and then you can get going. That's all you need is Jesus and your brokenness. You bring your sin, you bring your unbelief, you bring your shame, and then Jesus brings his mercy and his grace, and next thing you know, you're walking in the light. You're walking in the light. You're coming out of darkness, coming out of hiding, and you get fellowship with one another, true fellowship. You get the blood of Jesus cleansing you and healing you and restoring you where you can fully live. But here's the challenge. So many of us were brought up in families and churches that do not talk about our failures, right? Am I, am I preaching anybody, to anybody here? We were raised in families and churches where you don't talk about your failures. What happens in the home stays in the home, right? And some of us grew up with that understanding and what happens in our heart needs to stay in our heart and we need to tuck it away and we need to project something differently. And what ha happens is it lies dormant in our heart and it comes out in toxic ways in our life. And that is not living. You were created to be fully known. You were created to walk in the light, not in darkness. You were created to come out and live up under the light and be fully known. And only Jesus and only in Jesus can you be fully known and fully loved and fully accepted unconditionally. So let me ask you a question. Who really knows you? Who knows the areas that you're struggling, the questions you're asking, the relationships that are just not working, the circumstances that leave you so heavy? Who knows this? This is walking in the light. And so listen, I love what John says. He just assures us. There's so much assurance in this passage. He says, listen, we saw Jesus. We touched him. We heard him. 
This, this isn't something we're just making up out of thin air. We really saw the Son of God, and he really came. Why did he come? To restore the broken, to restore things back to their rightful design. So you were not created to hide from God and patch together some leaves to cover up your shame. You were created to be fully known, fully loved, and fully alive. And that's what happens when you are honest, when you walk in the light. So here's the reality. Jesus doesn't hide from us. We hide from Jesus. We, we run from Jesus in our shame. And what is the kingdom like? What does Jesus say? What is the kingdom of God like? We read it recently in our Bible reading plan that someone who comes broken and empty-handed, nothing to give, only shame and failure, come limping home. And what does the father do? Runs after him. He sprints after him and he embraces him and he accepts him and he loves him. His heart is for us, Christians. I love in the excellent book, Gentle and Lowly, I try to quote it every single time I preach, but he says this. He says, he does not cringe. Jesus does not cringe at reaching out and touching dirty sinners and numb sufferers. I wonder if there's anyone here this morning that feels like a dirty sinner, a numb sufferer. You've been suffering. Jesus doesn't cringe to reach out and touch you. Such embrace is precisely what he loves to do, is what Ortland says. We naturally think of Jesus touching us the way that a little boy reaches out and touches a slug for the first time, cautiously extending an arm and then giving a yelp of disgust upon contact and instantly withdrawing. And Dane Ortland goes on and he says, this is why we need a Bible, because our natural intuition can only give us a God like this. And Jesus said, come to me, all who are labor, all who labor, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's only in Jesus that slaves find redemption, right? It's only in Jesus where the guilty is pardoned. It's only in Jesus where the unholy are renovated. I recently read a letter from a dad to a son who was struggling. And when I read this letter, I thought, my goodness, this is it. This is the message, not just for my son, but for my heart. I want to read it to you. It says, dear son, I continue to pray for you in the struggles you face. I've been so helped as I've thought about some of the following things. I don't want you to ever forget that Moses stuttered. And David's armor didn't fit him. And John Mark was rejected by Paul. And Hosea's wife was a prostitute. And Amos's only training for being a prophet was a fig tree pruner. Jeremiah struggled with depression. And Gideon and Thomas doubted. And Jonah ran from God. Abraham failed miserably and lying. And so did his child and his grandchild. These are real people who had real failures and real struggles and real inadequacies and real inabilities, and God shook the earth with them. It's not so much from our strength that he draws, but from his invincible might. I'm praying that he will give you the courage and this quality of his. I love you, Dad. We must live in gospel community with one another. Speak, speaking truthful words about God 
as well as honest words about our lives. Do you know the two types of people who had the most problem with Jesus? The two types of people who had the most difficulty with Jesus, the religious and the wealthy. The religious because they were too prideful to realize they had great need. And the wealthy because they had the resources to cover up their need. Who's constantly drawing near to Jesus? Do you know? The needy, right? The people who were very aware that they had a boatload of need for Jesus to meet. So if you're here today and you're low on need, you're, you're tuning me out at this point in time. Like, this, is, this is not for me. I can't wait to get out of this service. But if you're here and you're high on need, I'm telling you Jesus is your everything. You can bring all of that need. You can constantly draw into Jesus, and he is there to meet you. In him and only in him is there strength for the weak. There's unsearchable riches for the needy. There's fullness for the empty. So I'm calling us NBC Loudon to move forward together, walking in the light, being part of gospel community that reminds one another of these truths, where we're not just saying truthful things about God, but we're saying honest things about our lives as well, that we're surrendering our efforts to keep hidden the dark spaces in our lives, knowing that he loves us, he accepts us, he welcomes us in Christ. So walk in the light. So what's the next step? Well, stop lying, stop hiding, and allow the gospel to give you the courage to walk in the light. You know, I've realized something lately in my own life, and it has been life-changing. And I don't say that lightly, okay? This has been life-changing for me. Here it is. Britton Taylor can either be impressive or Britton Taylor can be known but I can't be both. And all too often, when I try to impress people, I hide areas of my life. And, but if I want to be known, then I have to give up the effort to be impressive. It was last week in our, in our church group on Sunday night, I meet with a, a group of Christians and we're just aiming to care for one another, like family, grow together in the gospel and make disciples on mission. And I shared some real hurts in my life. I opened up and I just shared some real disappointment, some real struggle in my life. And I think it caught everybody off guard. Okay? Pastor's not supposed to have struggles, right? And I just went in for it. And a brother in Christ texted me afterwards. He said, I just want to tell you thank you for opening up to our group about your struggles. I think the church can put a lot of pressure on leaders to have a spotless image of themselves and their family. And I know it was hard. Let me know if there's anything you ever want and I, we can get together and talk about. I thought to myself, man, is that not so true? There's so much pressure on us to have this spotless image. And in so doing, we're missing out on fellowship with God and fellowship with one another, being really known, fully known and fully loved. You were created for that, fully known and fully loved. So here's my challenge. Let's learn to share honestly from our heart, each of us. Walking in the light is not just saying truthful things about God, but sharing honest things from our heart. 
And let's learn to do this in community. I was talking to one of my friends not too long ago. He's probably one of the sharpest theological minds that I know, okay? This guy's like a walking Wayne Grudem systematic theology. If you don't know what that is, he's, he's, a, he's a theologian top-notch. And he went through something very hurtful in his life, very hurtful in his life. And it was a tragic season. And his relationships, that he trusted these people, they broke the trust, and the people he cared about turned on him and hurt him. And the situation sure seemed to be motivated by power. And I remember talking to him afterwards, and I asked him how he was doing. And he quoted some verses. He referenced the, the providence of God, and that was it. And I thought to myself, man, there's so much more going on in your life. Now, I don't want to minimize the sufficiency of Scripture. I'm not saying that the truthful things about God does not matter. It absolutely matters that we think right thoughts about God. But all too often, Christians can hide behind those things and not be honest about the hurts in our lives. Can we not? And what I think John is calling us to, how to move forward, walk in the light, come out of darkness and walk in the light. And Jesus modeled this perfectly for us, being the perfect human. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. What happens? He begins to be sorrowful and troubled. He says, I'm deeply grieved. He's not in the garden saying, well, let go and let God, you know, he's going to work all things together for my good today. No, he's in there grieved to the point of death. He says, Father, let this cup pass. He's being honest with God. He's being honest what's going on in his own life. His disciples fall asleep. He said, Peter, could you not stay awake with me one hour? He's feeling hurt. So let's learn to share honestly from our own lives, and let's connect a biblical community where this is happening. Let's connect to groups of Christians within NBC Loudoun where this is happening. I mentioned earlier, McLean Bible Church is moving to where we don't have some groups for you to jump into, but we're organized around groups. And these groups are a place where Christians can care for one another like family and grow together in the gospel and make disciples on mission together. Everyone in this room needs that to live in deep community where you're walking in the light, living honestly with one another, not trying to impress each other, but being fully known to one another. Tim Keller calls this courageous, transparent, and vulnerable relationships. There's nothing wrong with discussing the sermon. There's nothing wrong. There's absolutely a lot of good in discussing sermons and studying systematic theology, but I will tell you, I've been a part of a lot of groups that do that and hide in the darkness. And I'm calling us to do both. Let's say truthful things about God and let's say honest things about our life. Walk in the light. So as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we must live under the banner that God knows us fully and loves us unconditionally. We must live with the reality that sin is a big deal and the cleansing blood of Jesus is our only hope. And we must live in gospel community with one another, speaking truthful words about God and honest words about our lives. Would you pray with me? So as we just move into a time of response to the preaching of God's word, 
even in preparing this sermon, I realized how oftentimes I try to be impressive. And I wonder if there's anyone gathered today that is just tired, I mean bone tired of trying to be impressive to everyone around you. I wonder if there's anyone who's tired of trying to hold things together, your family, your kids, your job, perceptions of people. I wonder if there's a teenager here that's just tired of constantly seeking the approval of your peers, imprisoned to the number of likes, confined to that. You just find yourself on this roller coaster of emotions. I want to call all of us to rest in Jesus. Rest in him by coming out of hiding and living honestly. If you've never trusted in Jesus, he is the eternal rest that your weary souls are looking for. And I want to invite you, come to him even now. Go to him, confess, God, I'm a sinner. I have loved darkness more than light, and I'm weary, I'm broken, I'm needy, and I'm bringing it all to you. Go to Jesus. He is gentle and lowly, and he loves you. If you've trusted in him and you've veered off course like these Christians that Apostle John is writing to in the first century and your soul is just weary. You've either minimized sin and acted as if it's not a big deal or somehow living in the darkness, fearing exposure. Can I please encourage you, come out of hiding. Come before God and be honest with him. You will experience good things from him that are far better than the bad things you fear right now. And Jesus calls us, walk in the light. Have fellowship with one another. His blood forgives us and restores us to right relationship. Nothing we've done or will do can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Heavenly Father, we come before you broken and needy. We got a lot of faults and failures. We have not loved you the way we should love you. We've not loved one another the way that you've commanded us to love one another. Our hearts are hurting. We have real questions. We're going through real suffering. And we run to you and we plead with you to give us rest for our weary souls. To help us live honestly with you, God. Not hiding from you, but coming before you, courageously coming before you because of the good news of Jesus Christ. Living honestly with one another, 
given up the effort to be impressed, rather leaning in to wanting to be known and being honest with ourselves. We love you, Jesus. You are everything. You are our only hope. We can't do this without you. So by faith, we cling to you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.